Friends, um, uh, we're about to have Psalm 22 read as well. Uh, thanks, Sandeep, for uh, leading us in uh, those readings. And uh, <laughs> my apologies for giving you slightly the wrong verses for Romans 2, um, but uh, we'll, uh, we'll get there in the end. Uh, and uh, uh, thanks as well, Phil, for leading us in prayer. Uh, I'm not sure how many of you are aware, uh, but... Uh, Josh Chan actually uh, is behind the scenes doing all this technology for us. Uh, he does it every week and uh, obviously he doesn't do it to be thanks, thanked or to be seen, um, but uh, uh, it's a privilege to have uh, his uh, service behind the scenes. Uh, so do remember to give thanks for him uh, in your prayers this week as well. I'm going to lead us in prayer as we come to this psalm. Father in heaven, as we've already prayed this morning, we do thank you again that your word is living and active. Father, we pray that we would uh, have our picture of Jesus that much bigger in our eyes after this morning. We pray that you would expand our hearts to be able to see him and embrace him all the more. Father, we pray that you would so work in us through your word, by your spirit, that in seeing Jesus, we might see you, Heavenly Father, and in seeing you, we might give you the honour and glory you deserve. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, friends, <clears throat> pardon me, uh, let me read. Psalm 22. I'm reading uh, in the ESV, uh, which is also the version that you uh, received in your newsletter. Um, and uh, But if you have a different translation, they're all pretty much the same. Uh, for this one, there's only one slight difference that some of you may notice uh, in, in the second half of verse 21, uh, but don't worry too much about that. Psalm 22. To the choir master, according to the doe of the dawn, a psalm of David. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? My God, I cry by day, but you don't answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you, our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and weren't put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breasts. On you I was cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you've been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. 
Many balls encompass me. Strong balls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me. Like a ravening and roaring lion, I'm poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It's melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me. They've pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments amongst them, and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, don't be far off. You, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Save me from the mouth of the lion. Rescue me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. You offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. He has not hidden his face from him, but he has heard when he cried to him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. And all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship. Before him shall bow down all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord into the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people not yet born, that he has done it. Amen. Friends, I hope uh, as you've uh, been uh, joining us over the last few weeks that you may get a sense of the contrast that this psalm provides to what has gone before. This psalm is uh, one of the two most famous psalms uh, in the whole 150 of the psalms. Psalm 22 and Psalm 23 are easily identified by people and often by people who have no religious connection. Psalm 22 is the classic Good Friday uh, passage. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As East, uh, Good Friday and Easter come each year, in uh, year after year after year, we hear those words, don't we? Because they're the words that Jesus speaks on the cross. They're the words that he speaks in his final moments as he picks up Psalm 22 and he applies it to himself in his death. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, is uh, perhaps most well-known uh, at least in our generations, as uh, the psalm to be read at funerals. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil, 
perhaps some of the uh, uh, older generations amongst us uh, will remember the great and classic hymns uh, for Psalm 23 uh, that are sung in church life. Good Friday, funerals. We associate these two most famous psalms in very particular liturgical contexts, so much so that it can be hard for us to divorce them from those contexts. It feels odd and unnatural sometimes to read passages at times or seasons uh, where we're not used to hearing them. Studying Matthew 1 to 3 or Luke 1 to 3 uh, outside of a Christmas season, thinking about the birth of Jesus in the middle of the year rather than at Christmas, singing Christmas hymns in the middle of the year, if you've ever had that experience. Reading Psalm 22 outside of a Good Friday context can feel a bit strange to our ears. Reading Psalm 23 not in a funerary context can be a bit strange to our ears. But it's important for us to remember that they never came to us in those contexts in the first place. Psalm 22 comes in the context of Psalm 20 and 21, and Psalm 23 comes in the context of Psalm 22. What does it look like to read Psalm 22 having just read Psalm 20 and 21? I hope you can see the contrast. In Psalm 20, the people are praying and people are desiring God to save the king. That key word, salvation. They want their king to be saved by God. And as they speak to the king, they address him with such grand language. May God answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you, send you help, give you support, remember you, regard you with favour. May he grant your heart's desires and fulfil all your plans. Of course, what is it that the psalmist, uh, that the people want the king uh, to uh, be saved? Um, sorry, what is it that they want uh, his desires uh, to be answered? Well, we get that in Psalm 21, don't we? The desire of the king is for life, for salvation. The desire of the king is for length of days, verse 3, forever and ever. They want God to meet, meet him with a crown of rich blessings. They want God to bring him into God's presence and give him honour and glory. They want him to have the life that is truly life. They want their king to be saved. They want God to save, deliver, rescue his king. Even more so in Psalm 20, there's an expectation that it will be. You see there in the second half of verse uh, <clears throat> Psalm 20 in verse 6, now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. They know it to be true. It seems like it's an already foregone conclusion. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving might of his right hand. And, of course, in Psalm 21, it's spoken about like it's in a past tense. This is something that's guaranteed. It's something that's already happened. God will save or God has saved his king, given his king life. 
rescued him from trouble, saved him from peril, and given him peace, blessing, honour, glory, the very presence of God. Psalm 22, verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from, and here's the key word, why are you so far from saving me? God's supposed to answer his prayer for salvation, but instead he sees himself as forsaken. I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. It's worth pausing, isn't it? And feeling the distinct contrast from what has gone before in Psalm 20 and 21 and what we're confronted with in the life of God's King in Psalm 22. It's worth pausing and understanding that seemingly the very desires of the people, the very promises of God, remember Psalm 16 that I read at the beginning, that God wouldn't abandon his Holy One to the grave, that God has seemingly abandoned his promises. God has seemingly abandoned his King. At least at this point, he's not answering the king's prayer for life and salvation. And you get a sense of that as the psalm unfolds. The psalmist remembers that God is holy. He is the one who's enthroned on the praises of Israel, the very praises in the verses before that spoke of God saving his king. And the king remembers that God used to do this. His forefathers, the ones in times past, they trusted in God and he rescued them. They cried out to him and he saved them. They weren't put to shame when they trusted in God. But these very promises have now become a source of mockery from his enemies. Have a look at verses 6 to 8. He says, I'm a worm, not a man. I'm scorned by mankind, despised by people. They uh, they see me and they mock me. They make their mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. The very promises, the very things that happened in former times, the trust that his forefathers had, their cries, and the deliverance, the rescue that they experienced, the preservation from shame that they experienced in former times, these very expectations become the source of mockery for the king in this time. Of course, not just in verse 1, but here in verses 6 to 8, we begin to hear some of the foreshadowing of what will happen to Jesus on the cross. But it's not an unfamiliar experience to us either, is it? Those times in our lives where we've prayed 
and we've prayed and we've prayed, but God seemingly doesn't hear. Where God seems not to answer or more than that, he perhaps seems not to even be there, not to be listening at all. Those times in our lives where we feel or perhaps even hear directly the mockery of those around us, of how foolish we seem to trust in the promises of God when we go through hardship or suffering, pain, grief, sickness, mourning. If you trust God, why would he let you go through this? If he's really your God, if he's really so powerful, he really is in control of all things, why would he let you go through all of that? Maybe he's not there and maybe you are a fool for believing that he is. But even in this state, even in this despair, the psalmist doesn't go there. Even in the face of God seemingly ignoring him, of abandoning him, forsaking him, he continues to trust God. Verses 9 and 10. You are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breasts. On you I was cast from my birth and from my mother's womb. You've been my God. And so he prays in verse 11. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. And again, some of us, perhaps many of us, hear those words in verse 11. And we have a sense of the depth, of the agony of that experience. That we want God to be close. That we want God to be with us in our pain, in our turmoil, in our conflict, in the opposition that we face and experience. And that feeling of being utterly alone. perhaps acutely for those of us who struggle with mental illnesses, with depression, with anxiety, that feeling of utter loneliness, of complete abandonment. But, of course, how much more for our Lord Jesus Christ, whose friends fell asleep, while he prayed his prayer of deliverance, while his friends ran away as people came to capture him, whose friends at best stood at a distance while he was crucified and groaned the very words of this psalm, as he experienced the very things that the Psalms go, this psalm goes on to talk about. Many bulls encompass strong bulls. They open wide their mouths like a ravening and roaring lion. 
is poured out like water, his bones out of joint, his heart like wax melted within his breast, strength dried up, and he thirsts. He sees there but nothing but dogs encompassing him, evildoers encircling him. They pierced his hands and feet. They can count his bones from the whipping. They don't just stare, but they gloat. And as a man like he's already dead, they divide his garments and they cast lots for his clothing. But notice his inescapable conclusion in the midst of his recountering of his horrific experience. As death approaches, he recognises that this God whom his fathers trusted in, this God whom the people prayed to for salvation, this God whom he prayed to for salvation, this God who promised salvation. Verse 15, you lay me in the dust of death. This has not happened outside God's control, like God was surprised, like God was somehow caught unawares or unable, not strong enough to do anything about it, as if this king was somehow outside of God's presence or knowledge or power, such that he couldn't do anything. No, this happened at the very hand of God under his sovereign control. This happened. The God who promised salvation has permitted him to die. But even still, verses 19 to 21, don't don't be far off. Help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me, that word again. Rescue me from the horns of wild oxen. Even to death, this king remains faithful. Even to perishing, this king remains true to his God. Even in the face of evildoers mocking, scorning, crucifying him, casting lots for his clothing, even in the midst of him perishing, this king is still obedient, even unto death. This king who trusts his God, trusts a God who has let him die despite promising to save him. Except the psalm doesn't end there, does it? The psalm doesn't finish with the death of the king. If I was to ask you where in the New Testament is this psalm quoted, we'd be able to look to the Gospels. We'd be able to look at Matthew, at Mark, at Luke and John and see the echoes of Psalm 23 
Psalm 22, all the way through the crucifixion narrative, whether on Jesus' lips or on the events that happen as he leads up to his death. But this is not the only place in the New Testament where this psalm is quoted. It's also quoted in the book of Hebrews. And the book of Hebrews doesn't quote the first half of the psalm, but it quotes the second half. And it quotes it not in the context of death, but in the context of life, of resurrection life, of life after death, not an afterlife, but new life risen from the dead to live again. Because the psalm doesn't end with the death of the king. The psalm ends with the resurrection of the king. Because even though he dies, laid in the dust of death, even though he's swarmed and overwhelmed by his oppressors, his persecutors, those who would kill him, even though God permits that to happen, it's not the end of the story. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. He's not dead, but alive. And he's not alone. He's with his people. Or again, in verse 25, from you come my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. Again, he's not dead. He's alive. And he's not alone. He's with the people whom God has given him, the assembly, the church. And these are the very verses that Hebrews picks up to talk about a king who is not dead but alive, a king who is not dead but is, has the life that is truly life, the kinds of things that we saw last week in Psalm 21, blessing, honour, glory, dwelling at God's right hand in his presence. And this king, alive and not alone, this king who receives kingship from God, as you see there in the psalm, because kingship belongs to God, this king who is resurrected alive again and who brings a people with him, leads them in that resurrected life. Praise, glory, honour, blessing in the very presence of God. Because even we, even we sinners, we who, verse 29, can't keep ourselves alive, who ourselves will go down to the dust of death, shall have posterity, shall be alive in coming generations, and we will proclaim with our king that God has done it. Because God doesn't save Jesus from death. He saves him through death into eternal life. And the promise of God and Jesus Christ himself, who says he is the resurrection and the life, does not promise 
salvation from death as such, but salvation through death into eternal life. Even though he die, yet shall he live. We have a model in the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, we have more than a model, don't we? We have the very one who has achieved it for us as our representative, as our king, because in the king's salvation is our salvation. We have a model and a representative of what it means to trust even in the face of death, even through death into resurrection life. Is the psalm about the death of the king or about the life of the king? Well, it's about the resurrection of the king, isn't it? It implies a death and what a death it was, but it also achieves life and not just for himself but for his church. Brothers and sisters, as we hear a psalm like this, it is so easy for us to see just Jesus and so easy for us to see just Jesus' death. But I hope this morning that you can hear more than that, that in the context of Psalm 20 and 21, that you hear how much that God saved his king through death into resurrection life and he brings his people with him. So take comfort. And that's exactly where the tone of the Psalms goes in the next Psalm, isn't it? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He leads me in paths everlasting, streams of water, green fields, comfort in the presence of enmity. Let me lead us in prayer. Father in heaven, thank you for your king, the Lord Jesus Christ that though laid in the dust of death, you resurrected him to eternal life, that though rejected and scorned, mocked, beaten and crucified, yet he lives and he lives at your right hand and shares those blessings with his people. in answer to his leadership, in answer to his kingship, in answer to his example of praising you among the congregation. So we praise you, Heavenly Father. We praise you for our King, who is the resurrection and the life. We praise you for the King in whom is our resurrection and life. And we praise you that even though we may die, 
yet shall we live by the strength of your mighty hand. Thank you, Heavenly Father. And in Jesus' name, we lift you up and glorify you. Amen.